morning, we're going to talk today about being a masterpiece. It's who you are. You are a masterpiece of Jesus Christ. I love that that is what is sitting on the screen. And as we get into the scriptures today that talk about us being masterpieces, it's who you are. It's who you are. You may be seated. Going. I am exciting. I am Courtney Skinner. I am a hairstylist. I am Arlie Smart. I am a chef. I am a father. I am a foster father. I am an instructor. Uh, my name is Danny Easton. I'm a general contractor. I am a father. I'm a carpenter. I'm a Christian. Awesome. Well, good morning. So good to have you in the house today. Today is really a, a remarkable Sunday in a lot of ways because right after this service, we get earnest uh, about the transformation of this space. Uh, we get to rip up carpet that I have been walking on for four years, anxious to tear up. And uh, Dennis has been walking on it for like 22 years, and he's anxious to rip up his piece too. So if you really would like a chance to rip up your hunk of carpet, uh, we can help you do that today. And I was just thinking about, what am I going to write? And I'm going to write under this little podium here, uh, 2 Timothy 4.1, where it says to preach the word in season and out of season, especially as people have a harder time today hearing and embracing the truth. So that'll be written there. We'll write some more. Well, I guess we're not pulling this up. So I can't write on this. But I can write over there, and I told Dennis, I'm going to write a rapture verse over there. So if all of a sudden he looks over and I'm gone, that's what happened. No, I'm just kidding. So, so but we invite you to come right on the floor uh, tomorrow in the next day and, and put some scripture down. Write just verses down. Do, do whatever. But please, let's cover this place with the word of God because the rock that Jesus said would be under us to give us foundation is not only him, but it's his word. And so may we build the foundation of this ministry on that word. So let's cover it, the floor, let's cover it with carpet, and may it be there to support us for years and years to come. So we're going to be doing that this afternoon. We're also going to have a chance to observe uh, the Lord's table, the bread and the cup together. Uh, first Sunday of the month, that's our habit. We will do that together as well. And today, as Courtney has already alluded, we get to talk about being masterpieces. Ooh. So as we did with, I am a disciple, I am an ambassador, I'm going to invite you to say it with me. I would like you to say, I am a masterpiece. That wasn't loud enough. Here we go. I am a masterpiece. Now some of you are like, indeed I am. Yeah, I got a pretty cool life. I'm a pretty successful guy. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm a masterpiece. Oh, you got that right. And others of us who really kind of suffer from, you know, a lack of self-image and, and a challenge with insecurities, we're like, I am a masterpiece. We don't really believe it. We really struggle with that. Well, you know, words really only have meaning in context. Remember that. 
You see, I am a masterpiece. We're going to show you where that comes from and what that really means. And then I hope to invest it with some other scriptures so that when you walk out of here today, you will have a different view of the value you possess as well as the people around you. So, if you have your Bibles today, this verse of scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. So, we're going to talk about I am a masterpiece out of the context of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. So, what I'll do is I'll capture a few verses in advance of it and then the verse itself. So, this is how it reads. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, hence known as the Ephesian believers. He said this in verse 4, God. All right, I'll stop there. I'll fold up my Bible. We'll pray and we're done. God, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And we've just been singing about that. Even when we were dead, separated from God because of our trespasses or our offenses against him, what he did was he made us alive together with Christ by grace, God's unmerited favor and loving kindness. You have been saved. And indeed, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of your efforts or your righteousnesses so that no one may boast in his presence. Verse 10, that's where this context comes in. For we are his, say it with me, workmanship. Now we'll talk more about how that means masterpiece. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want you to notice context-wise, um, it is talking about not only God as our creator, and we'll talk about that, but also God as our redeemer who in effect recreates us in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. Now let me show you what that little word means, and then we'll start to draw some meaning out of it. So the word itself in the original language is the word poiema, poiema, poiema. And a definition of that word is simply this, a work of art. It is a work of art brought forth by an artisan. Our English word poem comes out of this word, doesn't it? Poema, poema, poem, yes. And also the word poetry comes out of this. So think about what it's saying. What it's saying is this. We are God's poem. Ooh. We are poetry in motion. And just as a poem has meter, rhyme, rhythm, beauty, and meaning, so too do our lives ultimately in Jesus Christ. We have been ultimately or uniquely written and composed by God's grace to live out a life of beauty through good works which he has prepared for us to do. So the word poema has the idea of, of a work of art done by an artisan. So the word workmanship here is how the ESV translates that word poema. If you were to go to the New Jerusalem Bible, a translation also of the Greek and, and Hebrew, it would use the word poema and it would have a work of art. So, for we are his work of art, 
created in Christ Jesus. Or if you go to the New Living Translation, they translate that word poiema with the word masterpiece. Uh, we are, for we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. So please, hear me. You are a genuine and a unique work of art produced by the master himself. Properly understood within context, indeed, I am a masterpiece, but not because of me, but because of God. So in a very real sense, it's not that I'm a masterpiece. It's rather, I am the master's piece. The artisan has created me. And so I'm not just a masterpiece, I'm the master's piece of art. So, let's correct ourselves, shall we? Rather than saying, I am a masterpiece, and we can think all sorts of hubris thoughts about that, let's be honest here. It's God who gives us our value. So let's say it correctly. Say it with me. I am the master's piece. Yes. This is the reality of the meaning of that word in context. Again, words only really have meaning in context. And here ultimately it's talking about God as our creator and our redeemer in our lives. So what I'd like to do in just the next few moments is I really want us to kind of think, when we look in the mirror, when we look in the mirror, a lot of us see a lot of our challenges. We, we look at the face in the mirror looking back at us, and we see a lot of things we don't like, and we see a lot of things that hurt us, and, and we see a lot of things that really leave us empty and maybe even feeling worthless. But what I'd like you to see is I want you to focus with me this, with me this morning on the immense value God has invested in each and every one of us. I believe if we understand it correctly, it can change how we view ourselves, our inadequacies and our insecurities, but it can also change how we view others. I think that's important. I think that that's key. So this morning, as we begin, as we unwrap this idea of I am the master's peace, I want you to understand that God has invested so much value in you that you are absolutely priceless. And we need to see ourselves like that in light of God as well as every other person around us. So we're going to walk down this path together to see how God has invested all this value in each and every one of us. And the first thing we're going to look at is that our creator, our creator has invested in us what I would call innate value. Innate value. And this comes from Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. So notice what David the psalmist says here. He said, for you, speaking to the Lord... You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you. I am fearfully, and I am wonderfully made. Wonderful. 
wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, I used a little bit of sanctified imagination. I was, I was reading this, and David breaks into this, this great praise to God, and he's looking at the human form, and I can just imagine him in the back room looking in a mirror, flexing, saying, Dude, God, you're pretty amazing. Look what you made. Was, wow. You're amazing, God. Look what you did. So what David is saying here is simply this. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. I love what a guy by the name of Matthew Henry says in light of, Paul, uh, in light of David's words here in Psalm 139. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. He said this, as, great, as a great marvel, a great miracle, we might call it, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We may justly be astonished at the admirable mechanism of these living temples the composition of every part, and the harmony of it all. So what Matthew Henry is saying uh, is this. Wow! Wow! So right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, wow! <laughs> yeah, you can throw that in there too. Yeah, look at your other neighbor. Wow! Wow! Immense value, immense value has God invested in you. Now, the word wow in a church context like this, I just want to give it a definition. Again, context determines definition. You're not looking at the person next to you going, whoa. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. But what we are saying is this, worthy one worship. Worthy one worship. Looking at another person, we should say, wow. Worthy one worship because of what God has invested in that person by creating them so utterly unique. So, let's kind of chase on to this idea of uniqueness just a little bit in humanity. And so, right now, we seem to be all a Twitter uh, about the galaxy. We keep sending more and more uh, very expensive uh, devices into the universe to try and see further and further into the universe. Uh, we're all excited about the upcoming um, uh, eclipse of the sun. How many have heard about that? Yeah, if you really want a full-on eclipse, you got to go south of here a little bit and hit that little eight-mile-wide strip. But, but we're all, all excited about, about the vastness of the universe and, and how big and huge and amazing it is. And what people can do is this. They can say, Wow, in light of all of that, how puny you really are. In fact, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, or better known as the secular humanist atheist guy, one of his favorite things to say at all of these places that he speaks is he says, you're nothing more than a speck, living on a speck, rotating around a speck called the sun, and you're in the specklessness of specklessness. You're nothing. And everybody cheers. And I don't get that. Why do you cheer that we're nothing? Talk about nihilism. I mean, what, when we just finish, nothing matters. And yet nothing could be further from the truth from the word of God. Because listen to me, this idea of the sun, the moon, the stars, and space, if I understand Genesis 1 and 2 correctly, this was created on day 4. God actually culminated his creative activity on day 6 
when he created humanity. So the reality is, while the heavens declare the glory of God, so do you. Because you are the height of the creative activity of God by placing us on this earth. So in other words, the Bible says the universe and all its greatness is nothing more than merely a backdrop for the stage of redemption story. And that stars God in the primary role of creator and redeemer. And the damsel is humanity in distress, needing rescuing. But don't miss this. We are the object of God's desire and his greatest creation, even from a purely physical standpoint. I'm going to take just a little bit of time, kind of chase down this, this pathway just a little bit. You see, we look at this and we say, wow, incredible, vast, beautiful, expansive, powerful. But what I want you to understand, that this, that space between your ears called the brain, is actually far more complex and wonderful than the rest of the universe is. Let me explain. Let me explain. I, I recently read a book called Incognito. Uh, by a man by the name of Eagleman. And uh, it's a secular writer. I bought the book because it talks about how to develop healthy habits. And, you know, being a pastor, trying to understand my own healthy habits of holiness and encouraging others. I read this book. But what I read, this blew my mind apart. You know, I've got a small mind. Which means that it doesn't take much to go, boom, wow. Y'all got big craniums, so it's going to be harder to sell you on. But the truth of the matter is, the human brain is actually more complex and beautiful than the universe. Here we go. This is what he says. Your brain, a three-pound organ in your skull. Put your hands on your head like this. Like this. Everybody just do this. Yeah, right there. That's what we're talking about. This part of your, your brain, this part of your body. Your brain is a three-pound organ in your skull with the pink consistency of jello. It is an alien kind of computational material built of cells called neurons and glia. Hundreds of billions of these cells in Galea. Each one of those cells is as, is as complicated as an entire city. And each one can, contains the entire human genome and traffics billions of molecules in intricate economies. Each cell sends electrical impulses to other cells up to hundreds of times per second. If you were to represent each of these trillions and trillions of pulses in your brain by a single photon of light, the combined output would be blinding. We're not done. The cells are connected to one another in a network of such staggering complexity that it bankrupts human language and necessitates basically a new strain of mathematics to try and compute it. A typical neuron makes about 10,000 connections to neighboring neurons. Given the billions of neurons, this means that there are as many connections in a single cubic centimeter of brain. An inch is two and a half uh, uh, centimeters. So it's about the size of a die, a dice that you would shake and roll. That much brain material, there are as, uh, it has as many connections as there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. You know, at this moment, it would be nice to say, wow. 
turn to the person next to you and look at their forehead and say, wow, wow. Turn to the person on the other side of you and look at their forehead. Say, wow. You may also want to say, hey, you got a pimple right there, but that's all right. You don't have to go there. So this is the reality. We're only looking at the physical creation. We're not looking at anything else just yet. But listen, think about this. Our brains are literally encased in darkness and in silence in the vault of the skull. Its only contact with the outside world is through electrical signals exiting and entering through the superhighways of nerve bundles connected to your senses. The sense of touch and taste, hearing, seeing, and smelling. It is only through these pathways that our brains can make sense of the world around us and construct the story of life. The brain is a miracle. Perhaps the greatest miracle of God's creation... That apart from the incarnation and the resurrection, I should add. But it is indeed wonderfully complex. Let's just consider a couple more things about the brain and then we'll move on. But I just want you to see how unique this aspect of our, our lives are that God has done. Your brain is a marvel of efficiency. The average person thinks some 70,000 thoughts each day. With neurons making connections, uh, with neurons making more connections than all the cell phone calls made worldwide in a 24-hour period. Our brains do all of this only consuming about the same wattage as a 20-watt refrigerator light bulb. Dude, you've got to be kidding. The brain is a wonder of execution. It runs hundreds of subroutines with no conscious thought. Once something is learned, whether it's driving a car, uh, typing, speech, uh, tying a shoelace, sitting in a chair listening to a message, typing on a keyboard, these common everyday things become habits. And these habits are hidden routines that our brain just naturally does. And it's written in an uh, undecipherable programming language of proteins and neurochemicals. And these things, these, these habits, these, these um, uh, subroutines can lurk quietly in our brains for years, even decades, until they are called upon and then they act without even thinking about it. Ever heard the old saying? It's like riding a bike. It's like riding a bike. Once you learn how to ride a bike, you can not ride one for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, you get all of a sudden, all that clicks back and you start riding a bike. Where does that come from? The brain. All of that stuff are subroutines that have been tucked away in this, this wonderful connection of proteins and neurochemicals. The fact is this. Much of our everyday to day lives function on the unconscious automatic level. Our brains just do it. Lastly... Your brain is a miracle of adaptability. Adaptability. I'd like to introduce to you uh, a man. Uh, his name is Eric uh, Weinenmeyer. Uh, I met Eric one day. Uh, he actually came to a church I was pastoring over in um, Virginia. Uh, it's called Potomac Baptist Church. His sister attended that church. Her name is Laura Adam Adamson. So one day she walks in with her husband and kids and, and this guy. Uh, Eric is blind, by the way, so she kind of had her arm on him, and he had a stick and walking along. And she goes, I'd like you to meet my brother. His name's Eric. Hey, Eric, nice to meet you. 
And uh, she goes, uh, did you know that he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro? I said, no, I never knew that about Eric. That's amazing, Eric, you're blind, and you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah, he also climbed Mount Baker. He also climbed uh, Mount uh, McKinley. And he is the first blind man to climb Mount Everest. And he's blind. Uh, so this Time Magazine cover was developed back when he climbed it. It was about uh, 2011. Um, it's called Blind Faith, the inside tale of a blind climber, Eric Weyermeyer's A Daring Quest of Everest. And then they put it into a movie. So this guy is blind. And yet, in spite of his blindness, he has been able to adapt his life and his ability to think in ways that it doesn't actually prohibit him from doing things like climbing Everest. The brain is amazing in its ability to adapt. In fact, there's a, a short little video clip here I'm going to show you of something called a brain port. A brain port. This is phenomenal. Your brain is what really sees, not your eyes. If your eyes don't work, and you can create another portal into the brain, then your brain is what is going to interpret the world around you. Brainport is essentially a camera that translates a video image to a plate that I wear in my mouth. Dad. Hundreds of pixels on the plate tingle on my tongue, and together they form patterns and shapes that my brain interprets as the space around me. The information's the same whether you collect it from your eyes or from our cameras with a tongue display. He knows a lot about his environment already through the sense of sound and touch, and this adds one more piece to the puzzle. I think it's amazing that I can look on the screen and see that his brain is tracing a number and able to, to figure out what it is. 31. Very good. Stone, paper, scissors, shoot. I'm just at the beginning of the stage, but I think you could take this innovation so much farther than probably anyone knows. Zoom into what you just did and find your own. I'm laughing because I think I beat you. I thought I had a circle on the left, circle in the middle, and a circle down at the bottom. But didn't I have a circle on the top left? No. You stinker, no. Emma. Oh, yeah. We both won. No, we didn't win both won. He can see with his tongue. That's phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. This is just one tiny little glimpse at what God created between your temples, and it dwarfs the universe. 
This is a value that God has invested in every single one of us, but not just us, but the people next to us and the people we see along the highways that, that, are, that are, you know, holding these placards and saying, help me, I've got this. And you pull over and say, hey, I'll give you a job. I don't want a job. I just want, to, I want some money. And you think, what is that? That is one of God's greatest creations. That's what that is. Just as you are. We've only just scratched the surface of looking at just the brain. But I want to encourage you, if you want to go further with this, uh, get a book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. And in that book, they, they state very simply, mysterious, intricate, pulsing with energy, the human body is an endless, fascinating repository of secrets. The miracle of the skin, the strength and structure of bones, the dynamic balance of muscles. Your physical being is knit according to a pattern of... Of incredible purpose please you're an accident that happened in some primordial pool and here you are today I don't think so come on you look at the complexity that's in your head and there's no way you can chalk that up to an accident this is intelligent design my friends and you have been intelligently designed by God so you bear that beauty that value that God himself gives to his creation we are his highest and most complex creation and in a very real way we dwarf the universe just with our brains alone so what I want to encourage you to do is say it with me I am the master's piece one more time I am the master's piece. Now turn to your neighbor and say to them, and you are too. Keep going. You are too. Wow. All right. So, as God invests value in us as created beings, he doesn't just do it through the beauty and complexity of our bodies. But in an even greater way, I, I mean this, in an even greater way, we have been invested with what I would call intrinsic value. And this value is shown to us in Genesis 2, 26 and 27. And it says this, and then God said, let us, early intonation of the Trinity, this is Genesis chapter 2, let us make man in our image. So this is the Trinity, after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, you are not only God's highest created thing in sheer complexity and wonder, but you are also created in God's image. Oh my gosh. Just to unpack this in the next few moments, we'll never do it justice. But I want you to understand, the image of God entails many things. And it means that we have been invested with what's called God's communicable attributes. That's a really big way of saying that the unique qualities that God can share with us. And some of those qualities are things like moral attributes. Things like love and goodness and kindness. A basic sense of what is right and what is wrong. All people have the law of God written on their hearts. We intrinsically know what is right and what is wrong. What is good, what is bad. 
what is beautiful. We intrinsically know that. Where does that come from? God. You know, again, a man by the name of Dr. Francis Collins, he is the director of NIH. I've referenced him here before. He's also the man that broke the human genome. It was this issue of trying to understand how is it that people seem to know things about right and wrong in, 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 in very important things like love and, and kindness. How do we know that? It doesn't come from the genome. It's not a biological function. And that's what drove him to investigate faith. And that ultimately led to him putting his faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. It was this aspect of humanity that he couldn't find answers for in the medical or the scientific community. So moral attributes, mental abilities, deeply cognitive, creative, rational, and ling linguistic uh, abilities. This is part of what God has created and, and given to mankind from himself. Functional responsibilities. And again, Genesis 1 and two, show us a little bit about what that means. But all of these things are moral, the moral attributes, the mental abilities, the functional responsibilities that God has communicated to us from himself are what we would call personhood. Personhood. You know, I know you love your dog. Oh, here he goes. Yeah, no. I know you love your dog, you love your cat. Well, some of you do anyway, some of you hate cats, I know. Some of you love your goldfish and your snake. I don't get that part, but that's okay. Um, you know, some of you love your horse. I get that. You love horses. But can I just say, none of them have been given these communicable uh, attributes from God. Only people have. Only human beings have been given personhood. Animals never will. And, you know, it, it bothers me a little bit, just a little bit, so bear with me, just a little bit, when they refer to people as pet parents. I'm sorry, that just really bothers me. Because pets don't have human parents. Pets have pet parents. You know what I'm saying? They come like dogs make dogs, cats make cats. You're not a pet parent. You didn't make your animal that way. It doesn't work that way. But we give uh, human qualities often to animals, and mm, I'm sorry, they don't deserve it. Because it is so unique and so special that we don't want to demean it. But the greatest aspect of God's image given to us is that God has endowed each of us with an immortal spirit. The real us that lives inside of these rented bodies. And it gives us the unique capacity to experience an ongoing eternal relationship with our creator. Let me explain to you just how valuable this image that God has communicated to each one of us really is. So, the story of creation. God creates Adam and Eve, uh, man out of the dust of the ground. It's not long uh, into the story, in fact, uh, third chapter, uh, man falls into sin. But he was created in the image of God. He was given these communicable attributes. He was given this mental and this moral and these functional responsibilities and an immortal spirit. So what has sin done to these things? Sin has actually darkened it and marred it. But sin has done nothing to alter the status of the value God has placed on every single human being. Let me give you chapter and verse. A few years later, uh, after uh, the flood, Noah, God gave Noah these instructions in Genesis 9, 5 and 6. Notice, God said this, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. 
From every beast I will require it, and from man. From, this, from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. A man by the name of Walter Kaiser. He's considered one of the greatest Old Testament minds uh, out there. Uh, he has a book called The Hard Sayings of the Bible. And in this verse, in this hard saying, he answers this question. And I don't really want to go down the pathway of capital punishment. I'm not looking for that. But I just want to show you what he says. So he says, this Old Testament says capital punishment is mandated by God. Question mark. This is his response. For, uh, let us settle the matter on textual grounds of Genesis 9-6 itself. That's the verse we just looked at. First, it is clear that the text is giving us a command and not just a suggestion or permission. Verse 5 states that God demands a punishment. I, God, will require a reckoning for the life of man. Moreover, the reason given for the action is one that remains in force as long as man and women are made in the image of God. This matter of the image of God brings us to the heart of the issue. The clearest reading is that the that the murderer had to suffer for his or her actions because it was a fundamental denial of the image of God in the harmed individual. The person who destroyed another being made in God's image in fact did violence to God himself. Notice it ends with these words. So sacred and so permanent was the worth and the value that God had invested in the slain victim. What I want you to understand is God has invested incalculable value in you as well as in the person sitting next to you as well as every other person you will ever meet. They dwarf the galaxies in the complexity of who they are. That's from God. They also bear the image of God, which means that they have a value, no matter how degraded in sin they may be, that is connected to what God has put in them. So I don't care who you are today. I don't know what you've done. I don't care where you've been and what, what you've gone through. It doesn't alter the fact that God has endowed you with his image, and you are priceless, absolutely priceless. Uh, back in 2010, I took my second trip to India. Uh, and I took Mariah with me uh, that time. And every time I go to India, been a few times, every time I go there, we always visit a leper colony. And so um, back in 2010, we were hanging out in this leper colony with these people that, that society isolates, puts them over here, because you know what? They're weird. They're different. They have something that maybe we could catch. And so they isolate them. But the sad part is that's very controllable today. We understand how it's communicated, but they still isolate them because people are afraid of them. And so here's a guy. He has no fingers, really no hands, and he has no legs. You can't see that part of the picture, but he has no legs. And yet we were there visiting them, and oh my gosh, how they welcome visitors because nobody wants to visit them because they're half human, right? They're almost subhuman in the way we see them. And yet this guy, he has his, he has his arm upraised like that, because he was praising God. He was saying, praise the Lord in Hindi. So I raised my hands and said, praise the Lord in English, because I don't know Hindi. <laughs> but 
but we were praising the Lord together. And what I want you to understand is, no matter how low a person may go, either in their health or their wealth or, or their morality, they still have the image of God in them. Every single human, every single person, no matter where they are on the spectrum of life, no matter how young, how old, how tall, how short, uh, competent or incompetent, no matter how diseased or unhealthy, no matter how rich or poor, we are the possessors of the image of God and thus have an inestimable worth and value. This truth should change how we look at ourselves and how we view others. Uh, these ladies would wait for visitors to come and they made little trinkets to give us as thank you gifts. And Mariah slipped alongside that lady and hugged her and uh, the translator helped her to talk to her and, and they just bonded for a few moments. You know, most people avoid them like the plague, literally. They got leprosy. And yet, they are as precious as you are. They possess the same image of God as you do. And that image, no matter how marred, no matter how ruined by life and sin, doesn't change the value that God invested them with it. Let me see if I could just help push this just a little bit further, uh, just to kind of cinch it and then we'll move on. Um, I happen to have in my pocket a $100 bill. And I'm curious this morning, how many people would like me to hand this to you? Okay, there's three of you, four of you. No, no, seriously. How many, if I were giving out $100 bills, would you line up? Okay, most of us probably would. Oh, yeah, I'll take a $100 bill, sure. Okay, so this is a $100 bill. Now, what if I did this? What if I did this? Okay, now, how many are still interested? Oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a second. How many are still interested? Oh, oh, so you're not really concerned about the condition because the condition doesn't determine value. Is that right? Oh. And the same thing is true of people. The condition you might find their lives in does not determine their value because the value they have is something that God has invested in them through the giving of his image to you have an incredible intrinsic value and worth as a possessor of God's image please hear me I, I'm going to say this and people may disagree with me but that's okay often people disagree with me your life your life as you sit there right now has more value than the entire animal kingdom put together your singular life has more value than all the animals in the world. The person sitting next to you, your neighbor there, their life has more value than all the rainforests and glaciers on earth. Now, for dear Al Gore, I know this is an inconvenient truth, but it's true because Humanity is God's highest creation. The world and the universe are nothing more than a backdrop for the outworking of his plan in time. And so, I am the master's piece. Say that with me. I 
am the master's peace. One more time. I am the master's peace. I have value and I have worth. Not because of me, but because of him. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are the master's peace. Share that with your neighbor. They need to hear it today. You are priceless because God has an innate value given to you through creating you physically. You have intrinsic value through the image of God. And then lastly, I just want to say, you have an inherited value, an inherited value. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 say this, knowing, knowing that you were not ransomed from your futile ways with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of none other than the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. You know, as, as I was trying to think of an image to give you, to kind of summarize um, my growing up, my growing up years and what it was like for me to grow up in my family, uh, I, this image summarizes it very well. Um, what is that to you? What does that look like? What is it again? It's like a flea market or it's some kind of antique shop, right? You see, I grew up, my parents did this for a living. And so they carted me all over the place and we did this everywhere. Can I tell you what I see? What I see is junk. Lots and lots of junk. Growing up as a kid, my parents were like, oh, look at that thing. Mom, it's rusty and dirty. Don't touch it. You know, I'm like this, you know. Oh, but no, it has value. What do you mean it has value? William, don't you know that one person's trash is another person's? That's right. We used to go to these auctions. And so I'm sitting there. My dad's got his little number. And my mom's sitting there. And they got this piece of trash. They're bringing up front. You know, they're hauling this thing up. And it's this junky thing. And all of a sudden, people start bidding on it. Like, they're, they're like $100, oh, $200, $300. i am sitting there thinking, that's a piece of junk. What do you mean, 300 bucks? And my dad said this to me, William, whatever somebody is willing to pay for it, that's its value. And I thought, okay, you know, some people don't know how to value things because that's not worth 300 bucks from my perspective. Well, let me show you. What God the Father was willing to do to make you his child. That, my friends, is the value God placed on the redemption of your life. You can determine the value of something by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And God was willing to give his son's life for you that makes you of incredible worth and value in fact revelation 5 9 says simply this with your blood you purchased men for god that's the cost for our salvation you have an incredible inherited value and worth as an object of god's affection now, it's not innate. It's not because of us being anything great, but because we are the object of God's affection to the point that he was willing to sacrifice his own son's life so that you could have a relationship with God, your creator, and know him as your father. How precious, how priceless are you in the sight of God. We are going to partake this morning
of uh, the elements of communion. I would like to invite those who are going to um, serve to please come, and, and we're going to hand out the bread and the cup and uh, ask you to each to take one and hold it, and then we will partake of it together. Um, but as we move forward, uh, I just want to say this. Not only are you priceless in the sight of God, but you have incredible purpose because he has invested you with a value of giving to your life goodness, goodness to be able to do good works. Much of what God has invested in us is simply from him, but if we're going to realize it in our experience, this beauty, this value in our experience, that's where the relationship with Jesus comes in. This is what it means to walk with him. Because what he does is he makes our very lives beautiful and valuable in our experience. So as you partake this morning, um, I'd like you to think along these lines. Let this song minister to you. This song ministers.
Bible says that God reached down and formed man out of the dust of the ground and made him the highest and most complex of his creation, invested in him his communicable attributes, personhood, an eternal spirit. And then, after sin entered, he sent his own son to die, to redeem us, to recreate us anew in Christ Jesus. Every single person because of the investment of God in our lives is absolutely a thing of beauty, a beautiful work of art that the craftsman himself has made. With these elements in your hands, let's say thank you. Now, as they were eating Jesus and his disciples, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's partake. And he also took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying this, Drink of it, all of you. For this is representative of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the remission uh, of sins, forgiveness of sins. Let's partake. 